excited about tonight? Amen. All right, we're going to, and those of you that are towards the back, you can come up if you want to. I promise I will not grab you, spit on you, spray you, or anything like that. You ever been under a, a preacher who sprayed you? You know what I mean? I mean, you ducked. I don't do that. So you, you can come up if you want to. Way back there, Leslie, you don't have to, but you can. <laughs> All right. And you guys can come up if you want. You don't have to, but you can. All right. We're going through now the blood covenant. We got a lot to cover tonight, so let's get right into it. And I'm going to ask you to stand once more. And we're going to read this verse together, and then we're going to get into some great stuff tonight. What was it that Abraham believed? What was it that Abraham believed? Well, look what the Scripture says, Romans 4, 3. Let's read it together. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Father, I thank you for your Word tonight, and I pray you will bless it. I pray you will use it. I pray you will build us up in the faith. Father, may your Word prevail. Church, will you pray and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let me just uh, do a quick review. If you were here last week, you remember that God cut a blood covenant with Abraham. We're talking about the blood. How many of you are here because of the blood of Jesus? Amen. Are you here because of the blood? How many of you thank God for the blood? How many of you know that you would be undone if not for the blood, and your sin would not be covered but for the blood? All right. Do I have redeemed people, purchased people? Amen. All right. God, we're, we're, we're going back. We're following the scarlet thread through the Bible, and we're looking at how God began to introduce the whole concept of blood covenant, first to Adam and Eve, but now to Abraham. So God cut a blood covenant with Abraham. If you'll remember, Satan tried to devour the acceptable sacrifice before the covenant could be completed when the vultures came down to try to devour it. And God had to put Abraham to sleep to keep him from interfering. If Abraham had tried to approach God on his own and help him out, there could be no covenant made. Abraham had nothing to do with it. He was asleep just like Adam was asleep when God created Eve. He didn't want Adam saying to Eve, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. How many of you think us guys would have done that? You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. So Adam was asleep. Now Abraham was asleep, so he could not say that he had anything to do with the blood covenant that God cut with him. All right? If Abraham had tried to approach God on his own and help him out, there would be no blood covenant made. It was all God's doings, strictly an act of grace on His behalf. Now, Jesus Christ, the pre-existing eternal Son of God, took Abraham's place in the covenant ceremony. This was necessary because only God could enter into covenant with God. If God is covenanting with God, it cannot be broken. It can't be broken. Abraham did nothing but believe. Christ stood in for Abraham and walked in his place 
representing him in the covenant. All that Abraham did was believe. There was no works on his part to make it happen. He just believed. Now, remember the Old Testament sacrifice involved in cutting a covenant was always symbolic of the one who made the walk. So this sacrifice between God and Abraham pointed to Christ himself who would sometime in the future come as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. The blood of animals could only cover sins, but praise God, the blood of Jesus takes it completely away. That's the difference. In the Old Testament system, the sin was covered. In the New Covenant, the sin is taken away like it never happened. Now, if you'll remember, everybody, the covenant between two Hebrew males was sealed with a scar. You remember that? Remember that? The two men would cut their palms and then rub rub the blood together, making a scar as a permanent testimony to the covenant. Now, what does the Bible teach about this? The Bible says that the scar that sealed and testified to the covenant between God and Abraham was circumcision. Look at what the Bible says in Acts 7-8. Then he made a covenant with him and signed it in Abraham's flesh by circumcision. When Abraham had his son Isaac, within eight days he reproduced the sign of circumcision in him. Isaac became father of Jacob. Jacob became father of twelve fathers, each faithfully passing on this covenant sign. So this was given by God. It's how the covenant was sealed. Now, Abram would bear in his flesh the evidence that he had entered into blood covenant with God through Christ. All of Abram's natural descendants confirmed their accepting the covenant by taking the seal of circumcision on newborn males. Now, what is the new covenant application here? Rather than a physical circumcision, here's what God's Word says. Read this with me, everybody, Colossians 2.11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but in a spiritual circumcision performed by Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh, meaning the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. God cut it away so that we are not any longer slaves to sin. Amen. We've been operated on spiritually. That's what God did. Now, next, according to covenant ritual, God and Abram changed names. This is so powerful. God, who is called Yahweh in Hebrew, took the H out of his own name and put it in Abram's name. So Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And Sarah, who was spelled S-A-R-A, before the covenant, afterwards, her name was changed to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. What did God do? He took a letter out of his name and gave it to the name of Abraham and Sarah. So the now, just like two people who get married, the, the woman takes on the name of the man. In most cases, unless you're a Hollywood celebrity, then you don't do it case you haven't noticed that. But now, you know where that that came from? That came from all the way back in the Bible 
when God took the H out of his name and gave his name to Abraham, gave a part of his name, which was in essence a symbol of God giving his person to Abraham. So Abram became Abraham. Sarah became Sarah. Now here's the new covenant application. Did you know that God promises in the book of Revelation? Let's read this. He who overcomes, let me hear you now, he who overcomes is victorious. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. He shall never be put out of it or go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends from my God out of heaven and my own new name. In heaven, God's going to write a new name on you. When you got redeemed, God gave you a new name. Let me tell you something, church. We're in covenant. We're a covenant people. We didn't just pick a religion. We didn't just pick something kind of neat. We didn't pick one of many possible options. We have entered into a blood covenant with God. We have entered into a blood covenant with Christ. And as a result of that, He circumcised our hearts and He's given us a new name. We have a new name. God's redemptive work of covenant was often sealed with a name change. Look at all these examples. Abram became Abraham. Sarah became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. And Simon became Peter. And you know what? You don't know what your name's going to be. But it's done been changed. Amen. Now, Abraham is now the covenant friend of God. How many of you know that you're a covenant friend of God? Do you know that Jesus said, if you do what I command you to do, you are no longer my servants, but you're my friends? Do you know that Jesus called you and me friends? You're a friend of Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Redeemer. He's your Messiah, your Healer, your God, your Provider. But He's also your friend. So here's Abraham now, the covenant friend of God. And God has promised him a seed through Sarah, a descendant who would be a blessing to the whole world. But there's a problem. There's no son. God made a promise, but there's no son. The days turned to months, and the months turned to years. And how many years went by between the promise and the provision? Twenty-five. Finally, Abraham reaches 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old. Now, here's just the bottom line. He is impotent, and Sarah is past childbearing age. It's over with. They're old people. Everybody say with me, old? Even the the, the greats of the faith got old. Some of you older folks are looking at me like, you calling me old? I'm not calling anybody here old. I'm just saying, none of you are a hundred that I know about. Now, when you're 100 and your wife is 90, how many of you could agree childbearing days are over with? It's over with. It's history. And you know, I thought about this, that here's Abraham. You got to know, he wondered and wondered and wondered, why is God waiting so long? Why would God promise me something and wait so long to bring it to pass? What is the deal with all the waiting? 
Why the wait? Well, God had a reason, and we're about to look at that reason. God describes their condition gently. In Genesis 18, 11, he says, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years. It had ceased to be with Sarah as with young women. She was past the age of childbearing. Now follow closely and watch the new covenant parallels here because this is what we're about to look at is a type and a shadow, a foretelling of what was coming through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God does nothing by mistake. Watch this and catch the new covenant parallels. God is asking Abraham, is he not, to believe for a supernatural conception and birth. Is he not? Because the Bible just told us they're past childbearing age. They are reproductively dead. So what is Abraham now forced to do? He is brought to the place where he's got to believe for a supernatural conception and a supernatural birth. At this point, it would have, have to, would have to be supernatural. What did Abraham have to do? He had to believe in God's covenant. God cut a covenant with me. He thinks back 25 years when he divided those animals and he was put into a deep sleep by God. And in the sleep, he had a dream. And in the dream, a being that emanated and exuded brilliant light walked between the two pieces of sacrificed animal. And it was Jesus walking in his stead. It was Jesus cutting a covenant with himself, with God. And when Abraham woke up, he knew a covenant had been cut with him by God, a blood covenant. God had sworn by himself, I will do this, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And from your seed, singular, every family of the earth is going to be blessed. I'm going to make you great, and you're going to become a nation. Abraham looked around and said, okay, then i got to have a boy. For 25 years, there's nothing. Now he's having to believe God at 100 years old. He's probably walking with a cane. Who knows? He's wrinkled. He's old. He's reproductively dead. His wife is reproductively dead. She's been through all the the menopause. It's over with. So what is he having to believe? He's having to believe for a supernatural conception and a supernatural birth. Do you hear anything in that? What were all the Jews believing for before Jesus came? A supernatural conception. A virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So this was a type and a shadow and a picture. It was God pointing down the tunnel of time saying, I'm getting my people ready to believe for the ultimate. When my son is born of a virgin. Now, he had to believe in God's covenant. He had nothing else to look to but covenant. He leaned now on the full force of covenant. Just as we must time and again. 
in our journey of faith. How many of you this week, do you realize if you were believing God to provide for you this week, you were leaning on covenant? If you were asking God to forgive you for a sin, you were leaning on covenant? Uh, That if you had to lean on yourself and your own good works, it'd be over with. But praise God, every time we stumble, fall, need provision, need something from God, every time we need peace in the middle of a storm, every time we need the presence of Almighty God, Jehovah who is there, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, hey, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there, every time we need that, we're leaning on covenant. We are leaning on the covenant God cut with us through the blood of His Son. We are a covenant people, and I got good news for you. God can't break blood covenant. He can't do it. Abraham finally concluded that God is bound to the covenant and can't break it. He must deliver based on his promise. Not only must he do it because he covenanted with him, but he is able to to do it. Now, I'm going to read, I think, one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. It moves me every time I read it. This is uh, Romans 4, 19 through 21, Paul talking about Abraham. Here he is a hundred. Before Isaac is conceived, here's where he was. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now, now, I got to say something to you right here. Would you notice something with me Faith did not require him to lie about reality. Now think about that for a minute. Because some of what's out there is if you admit to something, like if you say, I don't feel good, you shouldn't say it. Because if you say it, you're going to make yourself more sick. Are y'all with me? You know, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if your money's tight, you shouldn't say it. You should say you're blessed. Well, you're blessed, but, you know, tell the truth, too. If it's tight, it's tight. Say it. Tell God. Tell someone else. Pray for me. If you don't feel good, don't lie about it. I'm, I'm showing you that faith did not require Abraham to say, my body ain't dead. Praise God. I feel great at 100. Where is she anyway? <laughs> I, I'm showing you something here. You know, when all else fails, you follow directions. I don't want somebody putting on me something the Word does not put on me. And I find a problem with not telling the truth. God can handle the truth. So here's Abraham. He says, he admitted it. My body's dead. I'm an old man. I'm reproductively dead. I don't find Paul saying to him, and what Abraham should have done is made a good confession. We got to get a real picture of what faith is. Faith does not lie about reality. It doesn't require us to. Because God's fully able to move into your reality and change it. Well, y'all are a quiet bunch tonight. Well, Pastor Jeff, I just like making, make a good confession. I don't care. But notice, notice with me, it says, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Yeah, I admit it, I'm reproductively dead. Since he was about 100 years old, Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief 
regarding the promise of God. See, you can admit reality and still believe God's promises. Yeah, I've got financial need, but he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Yeah, I don't feel good, but he's my healer. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I'm feeling kind of confused and don't know which way to go right now. And that's the truth. But I know that he's my guide and he's going to lead me. I can tell the truth and still lean on the promises. That's what Abraham teaches me. So he didn't waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He gave glory to God when there was no way in the natural they could have a baby. He was having a benefit before he had a baby. You know what a benefit is? You can have a fear fit. You can have an anger fit. You can have a worry fit. But you might as well have a benefit. Activate your faith and have a benefit. And he gave glory to God when it looked like, hey, it's over with. We can't have a baby being, what was it? Read the last part with me, everybody. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Amen. Now, being a word guy, I wanted to be sure the word dead in that verse was what I thought it was. When it says that he faced the fact his body was as good as dead, it comes from the same Greek word used to describe a dead body, a real dead body. Reproductively, Abraham's body was as good as truly dead, as was Sarah's. As a result, against all odds, against the very laws of nature, a miraculous son was born to Abraham through Sarah, and he was called Isaac. Isaac. Laughter. Hey, when you have a kid, when you're 100 and your wife is 90, what else are you going to do? (laughs) All right? What else are you going to do? I heard somebody say cry. Yeah, if you're 100 and your wife is 90, you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. They laughed because here here was the fulfillment of God's promise against all odds. Now, here's the new covenant application. As Christians, we're asked to believe in a supernatural birth, are we not? And not only that, God would, but that he could and did bring forth a son from the womb of a virgin. To become a Christian, you've got to believe a miracle. If you don't believe that miracle, I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you don't believe that God sent his only begotten son supernaturally, and a virgin conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost then you have not fully understood the gospel. There is no gospel without that and the resurrection from the dead. And I'm so thankful to the Titanic producer, Dan, uh, what's his name? No, James Cameron, who is now, wow, he's going to give us next Monday on the Discovery Channel a coffin with the remains of Jesus in it. And I heard about that and read about it, and I thought, well, it's about that time. It's almost Easter every year. They come out of the woodwork with some way to disprove uh, Christianity. And I wonder when they're going to do one on Muhammad and bring his remains. Well, I guess when he's ready to die. 
because Christians won't attack him physically, but I feel for him. Because, oh yeah, now we're going to have a Geraldo moment. That's what we're going to have. Instead of Al Capone's, uh, Al Capone's whatever it was, tomb or whatever, now we're going to have Jesus and his remains. Folks, they've been trying to keep Jesus in that tomb since he was crucified. And those soldiers were told, make it as sure as you can. And they sealed that tomb and put a watch of Roman soldiers around it. But you can't keep a good man down. Okay? No. And you know, think about Jesus. He never could preach a good funeral. He never did. Several people died twice because they encountered the resurrection and the life. And uh, Jesus rose from the dead. And so here comes James Cameron. God help him. And our prayers need to be for him because for those who have never been certain about the message of Christianity, they're going to hear this and they're going to stumble. And Jesus said, woe unto you that you make even one of these little ones to stumble. It's better for you. A millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the midst of the sea. Then you cause one of these little ones to stumble. So Mr. Cameron and this so-called archaeologist that has come out with this latest irrefutable evidence that Jesus is in a tomb, along with Mary Magdalene, with whom he had a child named Judah. Uh, the thousands of people who are on the peripheral, who have heard the message but never been saved, and who stumble over this, they will answer to God for that. It's very, very serious when you fiddle with the reality of Christ very serious. Now, remember, Abraham had slept through the covenant. God did it all. Abraham had zero to do with it, so now we find God decides to test Abraham's faithfulness to the covenant. Now he's got the son. He's got the boy. But look what God comes along and does. Think back to our discussion about covenant. When a covenant was cut, each party totally surrendered himself in loving trust to the other party. He must be willing to give his total being, life, and heart to the covenant partner. God was about to find out if Abraham could and would do that. The only way to test Abraham was with that which was most dear to him, his only son. Now, a study of covenant keeping in those early days reveals that men all over the world were willing to give what was most dear to them when they cut a covenant. Devotees of pagan gods would give their firstborn all the time. This was common practice. Would Abraham do the same for God if God came to him and said, Give me your dream. Give me your future. Give me your promise. Give me your love. Give me what you cherish most. Give me what you most adore. Would Abraham be willing to do it? Would God be his ultimate love and commitment? And affection. And don't you know, folks, that it's usually with the things that mean the most to us that God tests us the hardest? And they refine us and they refine our love for Jesus Christ when we rightly respond to it. It's not that God, it's not that God jerks your emotions around. It's not that God uh, plays with your head. It's that God will use the things that mean the most to us to refine our love for Him. I'm going to tell you, 
be careful what you love. You ought to love, but you ought to be sure that you keep him your ultimate love. Because anything else you love can be lost. But not him. Not him. So God's coming to Abraham and saying, I gave you your son. And I'm going to show you in a minute, Isaac now is in his low 30s. It's been a while. Abraham has watched him grow up. You're talking about this is my only boy. Through Sarah. And this is my whole legacy, my future. Abraham, what do you love the most? He was, in essence, asking him, do you love me as much as the heathens love their idols? Is your part in all this just talk? Or do you really mean it with your heart? So the Word of God came to Abraham next to the story of Joseph. This, I think, is the most moving story in the Old Testament. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Take your vision, lay it on an altar, and give me a burnt offering. Being a normal man, and he was a normal man, Abraham had to have thought things like this. It's what I would have thought. I'm a hundred years old. For God's promise to, to me to come to pass, I must have a son. Surely I will never be able to have another one. And I love my son. I love him with all my heart. But the Bible says Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. Now, folks, this is incredible. He had no Bible. There was no Bible, no church, no fellowship, no bunch of people he could call to pray with him about it. He was alone in his walk with God. This is amazing what God had done to this man from calling him out of Ur of the Chaldees in a totally pagan environment, worshiping the moon. Now here he is walking with God. God's given him a miracle son. Now God's saying, give me that miracle son back. Now the faith that's in him is amazing. Staggered, you see that word? It means to separate yourself from somebody in a hostile spirit to oppose or strive with or dispute or contend and to be at odds with yourself, to hesitate, to doubt. That word staggered is telling us that Abraham didn't argue with God and he was not tossed with doubts inside of himself. That's amazing. I wish I could tell you tonight, I wanted to, I thought about it, and I wish I could stand and tell you I would have done that. But I can't tell you I wouldn't have argued with God and I can't tell you I wouldn't have been tossed on the inside wondering what, what in the world is this all about now. Abraham didn't do any of that. On top of all this, to be a Middle Eastern man, to die without a son was the most terrible thing in life. You were considered a failure. You had left no legacy. The saying in those days was, heaven awaits not one who is destitute of a son. This was heavy stuff. Now, what happened? The test of Abraham's faith was supreme. Think of that walk. It was three days' journey to Mount Moriah 
where the sacrifice was to take place. Since we know he didn't stagger at God's word, then we also know that as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was already dead. Hello, y'all with me now? Let's use our minds for a minute here. If I'm not staggered at what he has said, if my faith is not shattered at all, if I'm not questioning him and I'm not tossed inside of myself, I have, a, as far as I'm concerned, the boy is dead. That whole walk, I used to think he cried every third step. I used to think that he couldn't sleep those nights, those three nights. I'm telling you, folks, the man, the man believes something, and we're about to see what he believed. Listen carefully to Abraham's statement to his two servants. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then who will come back to you? We, say it again, we. but wait, I've already considered him dead. But here he's saying to his servants, we will come back to you. Well, was he lying to his servants? What did he mean, we? We'll see this in a minute. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, and the two head to the mountaintop together. Do you remember how the cross was placed on Jesus' shoulders as he walked up another mountain, Mount Calvary? At this time in Isaac's life, he was in his early 30s. He would not marry till he was 40, and he had no children till he was 60. So he was about 33. And he was considered a young man. Isaac had three years of manhood before he was offered as a sacrifice. Jesus was 33 years old when he was crucified. On the way up the mountain, Isaac asked Abraham a question that would have killed me. If I'm headed up that mountain and I'm Abraham, this message would have done me in. This question, Father, we have the wood and the flint to make the fire. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham replied, and this is what he had believed all those three days. God will provide himself. Let's read it together. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. From this statement, we understand that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God would provide a substitute sacrifice on his behalf. Look at Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19. That tells us that Abraham believed that even if God did take Isaac, he would resurrect him to be the firstborn of the covenant children God had promised Abraham. Look what it says. Let's read it together. Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back, alive from off the altar. As far as in a real sense, Abraham was concerned, Isaac had been raised from the dead because Abraham considered him dead all the way to the mountain. This is why he so confidently told his servants, we will come back to you. Man, folks, that's powerful stuff. That's why I say at funerals, we're saying goodbye. Our brother, our sister, they were believers. We're saying goodbye, it hurts, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Because the Bible says, one day a trumpet will blow. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who remain will be caught up 
together with them and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So I can tell any congregation, any gathering of people who are at a funeral of a believer, this is only a temporary goodbye. We will see them again. And so, you know the rest of the story. Abraham placed Isaac on the altar, lifted his knife into the air, and was stopped by an angel. In a nearby thicket, a substitute ram awaited to take Isaac's place. God was saying, Abraham, you've proven your faithfulness to the covenant. Take this ram I've provided and offer him in place of your son. I will accept him as a substitute sacrifice in our covenant. So here's what Abraham believed, where God declared him righteous. First, he believed in a supernatural birth. He believed that God would supernaturally bring a son into the world. It happened, and Abraham called him Isaac. Second, he believed God enough to offer his only son as a sacrifice. Third, he believed for three days that his son was as good as dead. Fourth, he believed God would provide a sacrifice substitute or that he would raise his son from the dead. Fifth, he believed on that very mountain God would provide himself the substitute sacrifice on that very mountain. He would be seen. All right. Because Abraham believed these things in his heart, God gave Abraham his own robe of righteousness. God was his shield. God was his protection. The righteousness of God was imputed to Abraham. Why, everybody? Because he believed. That's all. At the age of 33, here's the parallels, and this is so powerful, I want to close with this. At the age of 33, Jesus Christ walked up the very same mountain. In Abraham's day, it was called Moriah. In Jesus' day, it was Mount Calvary. Like Abraham, God placed the wood for the burnt offering on his son's shoulders. And he carried the cross up the same mountain Isaac had carried the wood up. That wood was the cross that Jesus voluntarily took on himself. God offered his only son as a burnt offering to be a blessing to the whole world. When we, like Isaac, turn to God and ask, where is the sacrifice? Who will take my place and be my sin substitute? Who will pay the penalty for me? The answer comes back, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Jesus Christ, folks, is that one and only lamb. God himself climbed up on that altar of the cross on the same mountain where Isaac was offered 2,000 years earlier. But this time God did not stop the sacrifice because the real substitute was on the altar. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world, and he came to shed his blood in fulfillment of the covenant. Isn't this powerful stuff? This is the blood covenant he swore by himself to make from the beginning. On that same mountain where Isaac was offered, the Lord provided himself, himself as the substitute. And as Abraham experienced in his dream, when he saw a great darkness a great darkness also fell upon the earth at high noon. 
during Jesus' crucifixion. Seven years after Isaac was, in essence, raised from the dead, delivered, and the ram put in his place, Abraham sought a bride for him, and Rebekah was chosen. Seven weeks after Jesus was offered on the cross, Pentecost took place, and the Holy Spirit began gathering the bride of Christ. The true children of Abraham are those who do what he did. One day the Pharisees said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And he answered, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. Well, what did Abraham do? He believed in the blood covenant God had cut with him. When we do the same thing, the righteousness of Christ is imputed or placed in our spiritual account just as it was Abraham's. Praise God. Through faith in Christ, we enter the blood covenant God has cut with us. We experience spiritual blessings and a promised land of rest in God through Jesus Christ is ours. Let's stand together and we're going to read this last verse together. How many of you needed this tonight? Hey, we're in a blood covenant and you're a member of the bride of Christ. Not just the body of Christ, the bride. Now let's read this together. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Folks, we're in a blood covenant. We need to thank God for that blood covenant. What God showed Abraham uh, was a reflection of what he's done with us in full. He'll forgive you. He'll provide for you. He'll guide you. He'll speak to you. He'll strengthen you. He'll guide you all the days of your life. And when you die, he'll escort you to the promised land called heaven. You're under a blood covenant. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the promise of God. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. The blood covenant you cut with us when the ultimate sacrifice carried that wood up the same mountain And God became the sacrifice. And that blood sealed his covenant with us. And we receive that covenant tonight. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you say with me, I'm redeemed. redeemed. Amen. Well, give the Lord a hand for his goodness. Praise God. Praise God.